0: Welcome to getting in a college coach conversation on this show the team of experts from bright horizons college coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance from building a well balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Getting In A College Coach Conversation. I am your host for today, Shannon Vasconcellos, and we are deep into October, which is, according to me at least, the best month of the year. We've got the apple picking and the changing leaves, We've we've got it all. Uh, Of course, he's also also got college applications, so hopefully we can help you out a little bit with those today to help you enjoy this month a little bit more. Uh, And we do have a great show lined up in the back half of the show. My colleague Jen Simons is going to be joining me to answer listener submitted questions. So if you sent us a question recently, definitely stay tuned for that segment. But first, we're going to talk to another one of my fabulous colleagues, and he is a former admissions officer from uh occidental college and marquette and lots of other places steve fernandez brendan welcome steve
2: thanks shannon it's good to be here
1: i'm so glad you're here and you're joining us all the way from hawaii i'm in boston so we're really coast to coast she does see the shining sea today and what what is the fall like in hawaii do you have changing leaves do you have any of that fall stuff
2: 78 and sunny
1: is that how it always is? Every every it, month, could I ask that question? You'd give the same answer.
2: No, there's a there's a wet uh, and rainy season that yeah. um, is coming up for us, and we're excited about. So it'll drop from the mid 80s to the to the high 70s. So nice. Yeah,
1: it's not oh, it, Yeah, it's good everywhere. Um, so we are. Anyway, October is my favorite month. <laughs> we know that there there's a lot of high school students out there, high school seniors that. Might not be feeling great this month if they know that they have college application essays on their plate and they are, you know, staring at a blank page right now and they don't know how to get started and they're kind of feeling overwhelmed right now. Uh, We know that you're out there, folks, and we're going to try to help you today. Um, So we're going to talk about writer's block when it comes to college essays and and how to overcome it. Um, And so I'm hoping you can help us out with this, Steve. Um, So just, I guess, to start with the basics, Steve, I I feel like writer's block is one of those things, like, you know it when it's happening to you, but like, how would you actually define writer's block?
2: Right. It's defined as someone, when someone has an inability to start writing or an inability to write at the same pace they've been writing. But for most of our kids, Shannon, for most of the people, our audience for today, it's, it's the inability to get started writing. Yeah, that's, that's really what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. And what do you think, I don't know if it's the same thing that always causes writer's block or in particular with the the college essay, what do you think is, is the psychology there? What's causing the writer's block?
2: Yeah, I think it's two things. I think it's one is not knowing what to write about. And two is being anxious about getting started. And mm-hmm. those are interrelated. And sometimes it's 50-50 and sometimes it's 70-30. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's really a matter of feeling like I don't have anything profound. What am I going to say mm. that's significant? And I had a chance to talk to my brother in preparation for this session today, Shannon, because he's a professor of English. He teaches mm. writing at the, uh, in the California public university system. And he said, look, I can't assign profoundness. I can't assign profundity, right? Um, it's a matter of... Thinking about a story that lets me learn something, and being profound is not the goal. Yes, writing The Great Gatsby is not the goal here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think students put so much pressure on themselves that I don't have anything to write about. I, if I had a dollar every time a student says, "You know, look, my my parents are still together. I've I've had good health. I've never lost the crucial game." Good, don't write about losing the crucial game. By the way. <laughs> um, I, I don't have anything to write about, I say, you know, admission officers aren't looking for something negative that's happened to you. They want to understand who you are, who your character is, and how you got to be that person. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't have to be some shattering, earth-shattering experience to write about. So I think that's one bucket, yeah. that they feel that that the topics in their lives don't rise to that level of the profound good right. news. It doesn't have to. That's There's zero expectation. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't assign the profound.
3: Totally. Um,
2: I think the other thing, Shannon, is just the anxiety about the application process. Mm-hmm. I know I'm applying to School X, and School X has a GPA that mine's not quite there, so I'm going to use my essay to get me over the top.
1: Mm. It doesn't yeah. work that way, right? No. Um, yeah. How... In the grand scheme of things, uh, you're sitting there as a former admissions officer who reviewed applications, how actually important is the college essay to an application? Is is that student you just referenced who doesn't have the GPA and is hoping this essay will get them over the hump? is, Is that realistic?
2: Generally, no. Generally, no. They have to have the numbers, right? Are there exceptions? I hesitate to say there are exceptions because every student's immediately going to think that that's me, I'm the exception, exception, right? (laughs) Um, But the reality is that you have to have the numbers. And then within the pool of students who have the numbers, then it's a matter of, okay, what does the rest of the application package look like? Um, I've heard it said that essays don't get you in, but they can keep you out, Mm. which I think is an interesting Interesting. way to reframe it. And that, you know, uh, an aggressive essay or an inappropriate essay or an essay that simply doesn't, um, spends the whole essay talking about when you were 10 and nothing more recent. The Mm -hmm. essay that doesn't show me who you are. There's a ton of data in the student application file, Shannon, that shows me how smart you are. I don't need the essay to show me how smart you are.
1: Interesting. Okay.
2: I need the essay to show me not how you're going to be as a classmate. I have lots of evidence for that. How are you going to be as a roommate? How are you going to be as a member of my community? What is your character like? What are your core values? What kinds of things are important to you? Are you someone who has a sense of humor? Are you someone who has an incredible sense of dedication or perseverance? Are you someone who's genuinely curious about other people and other cultures and other languages? Um, are you someone who's kind? And how has that kindness resonated through different parts of your life and how have you leveraged that kindness or that curiosity or that perseverance. Um, So that's what, that's what makes a successful essay. And Mm -hmm. so many times students get stuck on, again, you know, that big story, right? That, that tragic event that I had, that sob story and admission officers are not looking for that. They're looking for that character moment, that, that opportunity where you could have cut corners and you didn't, that opportunity Mm -hmm. when you could have Mm -hmm. been walked past a situation, but instead you injected yourself to demonstrate kindness or empathy. And that says something really significant about your character. That's that's what can make a really successful essay.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's so important that it doesn't, you your kindness doesn't have to be demonstrated by the fact you cured cancer. <laughs> right. It's, you sat next to the kid in the cafeteria who didn't have anyone to sit with or, you know, whatever it was, it's small moments that can tell something about who you are.
2: That's right. That's right. Exactly.
1: That's perfect. I, I And I do think that that takes a lot of the, the pressure off. It's This is not something that's going to make or break you. There's so many pieces of the application, as you said, that tell the admissions officer parts of who you are. And right. this is just one more piece of that. It is.
2: And, you know, I don't want to say it's not important because it does put a face with a file. Yep. Um, and it does give the admission officer a chance to learn about you in a way that they simply aren't going to from the rest of the process. Mm-hmm. Even at schools that interview you, you know, an interview is 15 minutes, they, they need a writing sample as well to sort of help tie that all together. It's the mortar that ties the bricks together.
3: Oh,
1: I love that. That's such a good analogy. So what if, okay, I hope we've helped some people already by just taking a bit of that pressure off, but okay, what you're if you're- Dialing studies, down the stress, right? Dial yeah. it down, that's what we're here for. But, okay, you you know this is not going to make or break you, what you're going to put on this page, but you're still staring at the the blank screen here and don't know where to go from here. What if you're a student who who feels like they've got writer's block, they just can't get started, what can you do to, to try and help you get over it?
2: So there's a lot of great advice. Um- online that I was taking a look at in preparation for this conversation what I have found and what my colleagues and I pulled our colleagues as well if they had suggested successful mm-hmm. stories, um, what I have found something that's really helpful is just to get a student writing about something
4: mm-hmm. just get
2: writing about something so I do a free write exercise where a student writes for 10 minutes they put their pen, Notice I say pen on paper. Um, I think there's what? something about what's that.
4: that, Steve? I know,
2: I know. I'm showing both my age and my uh, pedagogies here. Um, right. But it's there's something about the mechanics of writing longhand that allows a student to get some ideas flowing.
3: Mm.
2: Um, and there's some evidence to support this. It's not just me being cranky and old, there's some evidence to support this. That's <laughs> well, that you're right.
1: being that too. But in addition, <laughs> there's evidence. Fair.
2: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to write about their day. 10 minutes just to break the seal, so to say, get Mm -hmm. some writing going. Um, One thing I do, depending on the kind of writer's block that they have, you can do a web search for this image of the great Gatsby was written in longhand. And there are images of F. Scott Fitzgerald's original drafts where he's crossed things. He's crossed off whole paragraphs and he circled things and made arrows and carrots and inserted things to show that writing is an iterative process. It's back and forth. It takes multiple drafts. It takes multiple mm-hmm. iterations. And sometimes for some students, the writer's block is that you've heard the expression that the the perfection is the enemy of the good or the possible. Yes. right? Yes, right. Totally. They're waiting for their perfect draft to come flowing out of their fingers onto the onto the Word document. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And so showing them that, showing them not to set, again, the expectation that you're going to write like F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's not the expectation. <laughs> Setting the expectation that there's going to be multiple drafts here. The first draft is the hardest. Just oh, get sure. something down. And it doesn't matter if. of your first draft is garbage. Guess what? We have a 20% start. That's amazing. That's great. I love that. You start with an idea, and I think I'm going to go in this particular direction. Writing is a crucible. Writing will burn away the chaff. Just the act of writing will get rid of the the bad stuff that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And so you start writing, and you see, I'm going in this direction. You know what? 50, 60, 80% in. I take a sharp right turn. That's the good stuff. That's what we want. And so we get rid of all the other stuff. That's great. Hey, we've got our intro paragraph. Who cares? If it came at the fourth, fifth paragraph. We've got right. a place to start. And so, so there's nothing quite like helping writing beyond writing. And I know it sounds like <laughs> that's not helpful. What are you telling me today? But um, when people ask Stephen King for advice on how to be a writer, he says, write.
1: I love that. That's perfect. And out of just curiosity, and I'm sure it's different for every student, how many drafts do you, does it tend to take to get a completed essay? Well, my
2: record of working with a student is 27. So (laughs) that was, that was a student who every draft had writer's block Mm -hmm. and every draft came up with a new idea. Oh, this isn't profound enough. This isn't significant enough. This isn't me enough. This isn't. And so. Really, that's not fair because it really took about four drafts once we got the topic that they decided right. was an appropriate one, right? So I think three or four drafts, often, once you have the topic, once you know what you want to write about, I think three or four drafts is sort of a good sort of a good number. Keeping my eye on the calendar, Shannon, if you had asked me that question in August, I might have had a little bit of a bigger number. <laughs> but here we are in October and I think three or four. Yeah, yep.
1: I think that makes perfect sense. Now, what if you are, we've got both students and parents who listen to this show, sure. so now you're a parent and you're watching your kids struggle, which is of course, as a parent, the hardest thing in the world. What can you as a parent do? You can't write the essay for them. Please don't. We beg right. of you. <laughs> what What can you do to kind of help them get over the writer's block? It's pretty
2: apparent when parents try to write the essay for their student. The voice mm-hmm. just doesn't sound like a 17 year old. Um uh, so so please don't do that we do want the students authentic voice to be part of this process right um i had a call just yesterday shannon with a parent who's like look i i i can't nag my kid anymore can you nag my kid for me um <laughs> said well you know at some point nagging loses its effectiveness they stop hearing it parents can do the interview and ask their students some interview questions just to get again longhand writing or even on their even on their laptop Um, Just ask them some interview questions about what I think are effective questions are questions that allow the student to reflect on growth. So ask them some questions about the difference between ninth grade and today. Hmm. In ninth grade, how did you feel when you started school? How would you have described yourself in five words? In ninth grade, what were your favorite subjects? In ninth grade, what were your favorite activities? Now, what are your favorite activities? If you had to choose one thing that you could do differently in ninth grade, what would you do? How have you learned? What's something exciting that you've learned since ninth grade? Those kinds of questions can hopefully engender some writing, can get some students getting some momentum and can identify some of those growth moments inflection flexion points um, and character values, core values that allow a student to have a good writing topic ultimately.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you wanna think back to yourself at ninth grade and your growth since then, your essay should not be focused on that ninth grade you. That's
2: that correct? correct. Or certainly yeah. before ninth grade. Yes. Um,
1: it's, I think
2: sometimes students fall into that trap. They have something significant that affected their trajectory when they were younger mm-hmm. and they wanna write about it. But oftentimes it's so far back And it's been such a key part of their experience that they can't show the growth from it. They can't show me the so what, they can't show me the inflection point or how they've grown from that. Um, I call that the twin trap, Shannon, that I wanna write about having a twin, but I've always had a twin. So how do I know how I'm different? Because I've had a twin. Uh, mm
1: -hmm. There's
2: never been a moment where I can say, well, because I had a twin, this is different because that's always been there, right? I wanna write about when my family moved, sometimes students have a a really compelling or interesting immigration story that they want to write about. If it happened in ninth grade, I'm all ears. If it happened in 10th grade, tell me about it. If it happened when you were seven, that's harder to write about, right? And so think about things that are more recent. Think about things that provide an inflection point or that growth point or that give me a chance to show your character. And it might still be that, but it might not. And I want students to be open and not be wedded to their first idea because sometimes that's something else that causes writer writer's block is they get stuck. They get married to their first idea and they just won't let it go. I'm like, this is interesting writing, but this is interesting writing for my brother's class next year. When you're a college Mm -hmm. first year and you're in a first year English class, this is, this is that kind of writing. It's not the kind of writing that shows me growth and don't get stuck. Don't get married to some, nice turn of phrase, a nice sentence that you've written that doesn't allow you to show what you need to show in a college admissions essay.
1: Totally. And yeah, I think you can, and I I think it's so important to say, just start writing. And there's going to be multiple drafts because sometimes you have one idea, you write an essay about that, but you find it's not too interesting. And the most interesting thing is like one line in it. That take could take you in a totally different direction. And that's really the right topic. So I think not being married to that first idea is so key. It's
2: so key. And you don't yeah. know
1: what that line is until
2: you start writing because it's, right. it's buried. Yeah. Yes. It's buried under that story <laughs> that you have from when you were 10 or yes. yeah. it's buried under this idea that just doesn't really have legs. That's okay. That's why you have to start writing. And the first draft is the hardest. And the first draft is usually the worst it's always the worst. And you're right. going to find something you'll be able to pull out of that. That's such a great point.
1: That's perfect. So are there particular, I know you you mentioned the the longhand great Gatsby that you can look up, are there particular resources that a student can find or, or tap into that, that might help them with this like, process?
2: Absolutely. And like all else related to writing, I really like to recommend Purdue OWL, Purdue Online Writing Lab, Purdue OWL. Mm-hmm. Purdue University in Indiana um, has some amazing resources there for students. They have some they have a whole page on how to help get over writing block. Um, now theirs is more geared for college students who have already written their essay mm-hmm. and so you have a topic. Um, and I think that's what's hard for some students with this is that they the topic is themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to write about themselves so hard. Um, and it's hard to find one particular thing of the universe that is my, my interior universe. that is myself. What's the one thing that I choose to write about? So mm-hmm. the, the Purdue suggestions are somewhat limited in efficacy. They're not as useful for students who are looking to start writing for this. Not all of them, some of them are still really, really good. Yeah. So I think that's a good, that's a good place to start. Um, the University of Illinois Springfield campus, has a great sheet of tips and tricks that can help, which I thought was really useful. And they help they help kind of break it down and say, you know, if you're stuck and you're stuck because of X, then here's ABC that you can do to help to help move forward with it. So if you just do a web search for University of Illinois Springfield writer's block, it'll take you to their page. Um, it, It breaks down the different kinds, you know, is it motivation? Is it distraction? Is it anxiety? Is it, um, you know, what is it that, you know, do I feel like it's not good enough? It doesn't meet the standard of everybody else's writing. First of all, Mm -hmm. stop reading everybody else's college admissions essays for a number of reasons, Shannon. But (laughs) one is that you're not going to think that your writing is going to be the same quality. And two is that it's going to cloud your own judgment. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose your voice in that. And there are some really bad essays out there. (laughs) <laughs> that people say, "Oh, I got into school ABC, and I got in because of this essay." Well, unless you were sitting around that provo- proverbial oak table and and decisions were being made about you know conversations were being had about your essay, you don't know if you got in because of that essay.
1: Yeah, or maybe in
2: spite of that essay.
1: Right. Totally, and I think the point that this is writing about yourself, and that's really really hard. I think we should reiterate that for a high school student, this is very likely the first time you've had to do that. You might be used to writing book reports, term papers, things like that. And I think to give a shout out to the students out there who are doing this right now, it is in fact really, really hard. So don't beat yourself up about it if it doesn't come supernaturally all at once.
2: It's really, it is really hard. And one one resource, another resource I'd like to direct folks to is that on our College Coach blog, we have a great entry by our colleague, Kenan, um, Oops. who wrote about writer's block specifically for the college essay and how That's to right. get started for that. So you can do a web search for the um, Bright Horizons College Coach blog, mm-hmm. and then there just put in the search feature essays, and you'll be able to see um, his, his post on that. So that's a great post too, to help students get off the dime and start writing.
1: <laughs> exactly. You're putting the pressure on now, Steve. I like it. I'm telling you, it's, the <laughs> clock is Just ticking. It. I know, I know. Are there particular essays or kinds of essays that students do tend to get bl- blocked on the most?
2: So thank you for that question, yes. And one way to get over writer's block is to not tackle the hardest ones first. Mm. So if the student is applying to the University of California system, start with those UC essays because they're easier. Mm. They're shorter, they're 350 words versus that common application, the CAPS, common application personal statement. The CAPS essay is 650 words. It's about yourself, it's more open-ended. Those UC essays are shorter. They're more Mm. interview questions. Write about your creativity. Write about your leadership. Write about your greatest talent or skill. Everybody, most of the writers that I've worked with, and notice I didn't say students there because they're all writers. Everybody's a writer. Most of the mm-hmm. writers I've worked yeah. with have some momentum that they're able to get from those UC essays. And so the ones that they yeah. tend to have the writing writer's block on is that CAPS essay.
1: Right. And can you, if you are applying to UC schools and and Common App schools, can you use a UC essay For your common
2: app essay sure usually what happens is one of the four uc essays that you have to write you have 500 words of content instead of 350. usually there's something there that you're really excited about and once you hit your groove you find that you have a lot to say that's a great essay that you can scale up for your caps essay for your common app essay and so i think starting with the uc essays is really a good place to start if you're not applying to the uc look at those supplemental essay prompts and see if those are a little bit more accessible Mm. Say so you're applying to the University of Washington and they have an essay about community. Describe the world that you come from and how you as a product of that world will help make the University of Washington more diverse. Great. You can just start by describing the world that you come from and at
1: least that gets you started, right? Yeah, totally. Are there, are there other tips for the supplementals because they tend to be sort of more specific in nature?
2: There are a lot of supplemental essay questions that tend to be shorter. 150, uh-huh. 200, 250 words yeah. that ask, how did you get interested in this major? Most students can tell me that off the top of their heads, right? right. Um, and so that that is where some students can find some momentum that they can then hopefully leverage and, and, and yeah. get over the hump to start writing that main CAPS essay.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Now, we've been talking a lot to seniors who are working on those essays now. What about if you're an underclassman and you're you're not going to be working on your essay, you know, it for another nine months, let's say, at least if you're if you're a junior. Are there things you can be doing now as an underclassman to help you get in the right mindset that might help prevent the writer's block down the line when the come, time comes to actually write your essay? Yeah, I think that
2: the and, and please don't start your essays yet because the prompts change from year to year. You've got plenty of things to work on if you're younger students, focus on your grades, focus on developing some interesting extracurricular activities. But um, the biggest thing is to read, which might sound like a cop-out, but it's learning facility with language, learning how language works, reading beyond the bare minimum of school will really help you develop some um, tools in your toolkit when it's time to write. And I think that's something that will really help students when they are faced with that blinking cursor at the top of the page and they need (laughs) to write about themselves.
1: Right? Are there specific books or types of books, or is it even just books? <laughs> Are there other it's, things kids should be reading?
2: It's it's books. It's it's magazines. You know, whatever the family's comfortable with as far as periodical content. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I like to recommend the New Yorker and the Atlantic because they're a little bit more advanced reading. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, a daily newspaper. Remember those? Um, you know, subscribe <laughs> to one of those. Get a daily subscription in your inbox and read the top three stories from. Mm -hmm. The Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Denver Post, whichever is your local, you know, hometown paper, um, just to see how, just to see how the different ways that writing can work. I think those are great, great sources to read for students to help them, again, build their toolkit so they're ready to start writing when the time comes in in nine months or so.
1: That's great. And so how about I go back to the seniors to sort of wrap up. This episode is dropping on October 19th. Our first early deadlines are November 1st. If you've got a blank page in front of you right, no, right now, do you have time to get the college the essay done to meet November 1st deadlines? I think you
2: do. I think you need to yep. hustle. Yep. I think you do though. <laughs> um, and starting with some of those supplemental essays because it still feels like you're making progress and mm-hmm. that can take some of the pressure off um, is, is a great place to start. But if you can get four drafts in between the 19th and the first, but it's not too late. But you do need to hustle. You need to get some production going. So whichever awesome. of these tips you find that might speak to you a little bit, start with those and and just get some, just start writing. There's no yeah. such thing as bad writing on a first draft. There's really not. You just got to find that momentum. Got to find that kernel. Got to find that buried under the 60% of the first draft. Mm-hmm. That, 30, 40% of good stuff that you can pull out and then leverage for your next drafts.
1: That's, that's perfect. Just right. Listen to Stephen King and Steve Fernandez-Brennan. Same advice. just that's right,
2: it. Just right. That's it, Shannon.
1: <laughs> perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Uh, so many great tips. And um, I, I, I feel students' wheels turning as we speak. I hope so. I hear the keyboard clicks or the pen scraping the against pen the page, scraping,
2: scratching on the page. Yeah, <laughs> yes. love it. Love it. Well, all the best to our seniors. All the best to our students, and we look forward to uh, helping them, you know, as much as we can. So, good luck to Absolutely.
1: them. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Steve, and listeners. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to answer your questions. Stay tuned.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
3: For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
3: In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com experts to learn more.
0: Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are now going to do my absolute favorite thing that we do on Getting In, which is answer questions that actual listeners have sent in to us. Uh, And we get to do that today with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, my colleague, former admissions officer at Tufts, Barnard, North East, everywhere. Any you. college you can think of, she's been there. And she's going to help us answer questions today. So welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I literally was waiting for
4: you to say with one of my favorite people. So thank you for not <laughs> disappointing me.
1: <laughs> you have very high expectations. <laughs> and just to let the uh, give the listeners a little sneak peek behind the scenes, Jen is not also one of the best guests for this show, but she is also, I don't know if this is the official name, but we call her our podcast producer, our, our technical producer on the line, have something to say about that. But Jen is the one who uh, comes up with the ideas for most of our segments, books most of our guests. She has some help from our other colleague, Michelle Smoley with some of the finance segments, but Jen is the most massive part of bringing this podcast out there to all of you so i'm going to speak on behalf of the listeners jen to say a great big thank you to you for doing everything that you do to keep this podcast running so thank Thank you, you Jen, so much oh my pleasure it's so true and thank you for joining us today to answer the questions uh and just to throw it out there to folks we are always in the market for more questions so There's so many ways to reach out to us, to send us your questions. You can do it through our website. We have like a podcast page on our website where you can submit your questions. You can email us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com, or you could uh, DM us, give us a comment, anything on any of our social media pages, including I should give a, a little promotion for our brand new TikTok page. Just in the, in the last month, we've been we've been doing our best to fit in with the cool kids on TikTok. Please give us uh, some, some grace as you see our goofy TikToks, but we're trying. Uh, but you can reach out to us there or, or on any of our social channels to send us your questions. So we're going to dig into this month's questions. And Jen, actually, before we really dig in, we, we got a bunch of questions this month about standardized testing, submitting test scores, So I thought we'd take those kind of one after the other. But um, you made sure to point out to me, Jen, that I think this morning, high school juniors are taking the digital, as opposed to on paper, PSAT for, I think, the very first time ever. This is our big experiment this morning with the digital PSAT and preparation for the digital SAT, which is supposed to happen in March, correct? Yes, that's um, the first digital SAT, yep. Yeah, and there was some um, little conversation on our team message boards the this this morning. How did things things go this morning, does it seem, with the, the digital PSAT, Jen?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, mm-hmm. What I will say, and I think is important for parents and students to remember, is that the students abroad, international students, have been taking the digital SAT for some time, and it's gone very well our test partners have um reported good things um so you know no need to panic i i don't think the PSAT went as smoothly as uh the college board or parents or students or teachers or administrators would have <laughs> hoped but you know what it, I, I do want to say like when when i received all the questions about standardized testing um, I will say that, you know, as as you mentioned, I have worked at a lot of places. I've obviously been doing this for a long time, and I will say that probably all the deans and directors at, of admissions have also been doing this for just as long, if not longer, um, as I have. And and if you've been doing it as long as we have, you've seen the evolution of the sort of standardized test. I mean, I can think back to my days at Barnard College when they recentered the test to make the percentages more like equitable, or I I don't even remember exactly what, you know, the deal was. And that was a big to do. And it was really hard to sort of recenter our brains. And we had to use charts and it was like a big deal. And then we went to a 2,400 point scale. And then we went back to the 1,600 point scale. And then, um, you know, there were other things happening. We all survived a, co- a common app crash. You know, like I, I think that yeah. what's important to remember is that admissions officers are professionals and that, you know, now is a good time um to be test optional for students and administrators mm-hmm. because um you always generally always have the option to not submit. So you know I think that the PSAP went okay, I guess, you know, it was not <laughs> as I said without glitches, but um this doesn't you know, mean anything for the SAT rollout. If anything, we want those glitches to happen now and not later.
1: Yep. That makes perfect sense. Um, So to get to our first question that came in from Dan on Facebook, uh, he asks, do you expect schools to super score SATs when one is on paper taken in August, 2023, and one is digital? So I think Dan or Dan's child is expecting to take the digital SAT in March of twenty twenty four, and I think probably first you want to explain what super scoring is, and will colleges super score when one's on paper and one's digital?
4: Yeah, I mean obviously, as with every answer, every college can do whatever they want, right? But um, (laughs) the word on the street from counselors, from admissions officers, is that, and from the College Board, is that it certainly can be super scored, even though there are two different formats and quite frankly, this surprised me because not only are they two different formats, but they're two different tests, essentially, you Mm. know, Um, and and we can talk about that or not. But, you know, not only is the new digital SAT shorter, but it sort of corresponds, the rigor corresponds with your answers. So it adapts essentially Mm. to, um, you know, if you answer a question wrong, it'll make the questions easier. If you you answer well for a while, it'll make the questions harder. And of course, the scores are... commensurate, uh, the equivalent or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) That's (laughs) a great
1: SAT word, Jen.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But the SAT doesn't have SAT words anymore. They've eliminated those because they're impractical, but so the the scores will reflect, um, you know, the, the, the curve or or whatever. But, um, so, so what I'm saying is that, yes, Colleges are saying, yes, they will superscore. The college board is saying, yes, they will superscore. I am surprised, quite frankly. But I think that the message again, like sorry to be all pontificating about all this, but (laughs) I think that the message I want to give families around this is that by and large, the vast majority of schools, even the most selective schools, are looking to accept you. They're looking to use your best scores. If we want to be cynical about it, we can say they want to use your best scores because they want their median scores to be high for things like U.S. News and World Report. Sure. Um, that's usually the, what, what I say to parents to get them to believe me. Um, but <laughs> the truth is, is that every admissions officer that I've ever worked with goes in with their territory and their kids that they're you know, evaluating, and they want to admit those kids. They're not yeah. looking for reasons to deny them. And so um, when a college says, yes, they will consider the highest scores, they will consider the highest scores. So, right. you know, don't be cynical about that. If you have a question about whether you should submit your scores in a test optional environment, that's what we're here for. We get a lot of questions about that. Um, but there's no reason to doubt. Um, and I, I, this is not, I feel like I'm responding to the question more broadly, but I get a lot of questions about yeah. this. Um you know, they, they will super score. They will take your highest uh, English section, type, take your highest math section
1: for the SAT. Perfect. And that's that's the definition of super scoring. If you've taken the test multiple times, you might have done had your best English section on test one and your best math section on test three. They'll add those two together to for the total score they're looking at. That's the definition of super score. Or,
4: or they'll, so when I, you know, in, in the places I've worked in admissions, they don't actually, I've never talked about a score out of, really out of 1600. I talk about it out of 800 for each okay. section. So yeah. some colleges will say they got a 1520, but actually a 1520 doesn't tell me anything because I don't know what the breakdown is. Yes. So they're, they're, it's the scores as individual scores are important.
1: Got it. Um, So on a related note, uh, another question came in. Do selective colleges superscore subscores on the SAT? In other words, do they consider the highest subscores for each section or do they only consider the highest section scores? I can't seem to find the answer to this question is there? I don't even. I know nothing about that. They do sub. Their sub scores within a section score.
4: I, I so so no. I mean, I think no. that the, the answer to that is no. So basically, okay. I mean, the, there's the essay question. Nobody's taking the essay anymore for the. You know, it doesn't exist for the SAT. For the for the ACT, it does. But no. So basically, they're looking for the highest. Forget about the sub scores. They're looking for the highest okay. English. They're looking for the highest math.
1: Okay, got it. Um, Another question. If a student uses score choice, another term we need to define, and decides to send only one SAT with his best section scores, what does the college actually see on the official report? Do the colleges see... That second page of the report that lists all other SATs taken to date, I cannot get a straight answer from the college board. If the second page is submitted, then what is the point of score choice and what what exactly is score choice in the first place? So-
4: who ca- score choice is literally you're proactively having the college board send your highest sections, or you're sort of I, I do want to point out that unofficial scores, meaning you self-report the scores, let's say on the common app, mm-hmm. are accepted by a lot of colleges. So before you pay, sorry, college board, although you don't need that much more money. Um maybe now you do, I don't know, but <laughs> for me to say. Um so Basically, what you can do is you can report if a college allows you your highest sections. That's essentially using score choice, and it's officially using score choice when you pay the College Board to do it for you, which you don't always have to do. But uh, what I want you to what I want to what I want to what what I want you to think about is it doesn't matter what an admissions officer sees okay mm-hmm. i could see everything it's what i document it's what i use as your official scores so a college admissions officer who sees that you took the sat three times and that your lowest score was a 540 on the english but you brought it up they're not going to they're not going to hold that 540 in their head we have already talked about this more than colleges are you know paying attention to it when they right. read your application <laughs> so who cares what they see If they say they're going to use your highest scores, they're going to use your highest scores. They're not going to make a little note saying, oh, but they took it three times and they got the lowest score. You know, they're going to super score it. So don't don't worry.
1: Yeah. And to your previous point that colleges are not looking, they're not digging in there to find some reason to reject you Mm -hmm. They're, And as you said, we've already talked about this more than they're looking at it. They're just fine. What is that high score? Noting it, moving on. Yep, yep. 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 Um, the next question, I very general, I think, will apply to a lot of people. Should I bother taking the SAT or ACT since most colleges don't require them anymore? And if I take them, how do I know when to actually submit the scores? So this is a big question.
4: No, that's a big question for sure. So um, there are some students for whom I have said, and I, I know these students well. I've said, you don't have to take the SAT or ACT, you should not prep for it. Because here's what I also want to say, everything has like context to it, right? So I want to say that it's not just about going in and taking, physically sitting in the room and taking the SAT or ACT. It's about consciously saying, I'm going to prepare for this exam by dedicating a certain amount of time that could be dedicated to not texting my friends oh not watching my tiktok videos from college coach uh, you know like they're going to do that anyway (laughs) but but dedicating a certain amount of time that could be used for studying or sports or whatever extracurriculars you do and so it's not just about saying I'm going to see what happens if I take it you have to consciously prepare for it so having said that there are some kids that are just terrible standardized test takers. They're just, it's a miserable experience for them and they've taken the PSAT, let's say, and they have not done well. They have not done well to a point where it's clear to them and if they talk to a tutor, they're not going to get the scores they need for the schools they want to go to. Mm -hmm. And what's happened over the past three years of test optional admissions is that score medians have gotten higher, right? So the kids that have really strong scores are sending them, and, and rightfully so, and the kids that don't are not. And so, you know, there are kids like that that just say, this is going to torture me, I don't have the time, I'm not gonna prep, and I'm only gonna apply to test optional schools, fine. Um, there are also kids that justify, like, for example, within the University of California system, and they know this and their parents say, you, you're you not, we can't afford or, you know, whatever the reason is, mm-hmm. you're not going outside of the UCs, the Cal State, you're not going to need a test. That's a small percentage of kids. I think by mm-hmm. and large, I say you prep for it. You try it, you know what I mean? Whether that Mm -hmm. means going on Khan Academy, whether that means getting a tutor, it's more than just taking the PSAT, it's actually prepping for the SAT and seeing how you do. And then having a discussion with your tutor, with your school counselor, with us about, you know, should I go ahead um, and take it again, right? Because you're usually, you're not going to take it just once. It's also making a commitment, quite frankly, to take it multiple times. Mm And I will also say, if the, we've been talking more about the SAT because the PSAT is on, on my mind today, but um, I also recommend that students take practice tests, times practice tests for the SAT and the ACT out of the gate to see which one is a better test. So the worst thing I think you could do is prep for both, right? Like that, there's yeah. no reason for that. You decide out of the gate which one is a better test for you. You might need a tutor to help you with that, but that's okay. And then you see which one is better, you prep for that one. There are some students also, just as as a point, that have lower quote unquote scores, but maybe their transcript is lower than their SAT or ACT, Mm -hmm. right? So even if a students, um, SAT or ACT is relatively low compared to the colleges to which they'll be applying. Sorry for that clunk- clunky sentence. Um, you still want to show them something standardized. I will say, um, I was the director of international recruitment for a very long time at Tufts, and I loved the SAT Um for areas of the world where the curricula, where the, um, you know, grades, the transcripts weren't as straightforward, I do yeah. see merit, you know, certainly in taking them. I would also talk individually to students, certainly if you're homeschooled, a lot of still, a lot of uh, colleges still require them, or if you have a transcript that doesn't have grades, sometimes it's very helpful mm. for the school to have a number, but um. I think that if I had to give a general, broad answer after all that, I would say it's worthwhile to prep and take it and see how you do. Um, you want it, I'm from the point of view you want to give yourself the option. You want to have the option available to you and then not use it. And we will tell you. <laughs> We will tell you whether it's good to use or not, but you could also simply go to every college's website and search for the median, mean, average SAT, ACT from the previous year. And in a straightforward way, if your score is above it or at the median, you submit it. If it helps you, you submit it and we'll help you determine that. But it's, it's pretty straightforward. You can find out
1: all the scores. That's perfect. And yeah, I think it's, it's a big question, but I think the, I I like your general advice might as well prep and take it, see how you do. And then you can decide whether or not to submit the scores in most cases, if it's going to stress you out to an unreasonable extent, then maybe it's not worth it. Right. Yeah. Um, The last sort of test score question that we got a little bit different because it's not about SATs, ACTs, but about AP scores. Um, this question also came in through our Facebook page. Uh, I wanted to ask a question about self-reporting AP scores on the Common App. Should you report all, none, or maybe only fours and fives? I say only
4: fours and fives. those That's mm-hmm. what you're going to get credit for if you enroll there. Those are impressive. Um, you know, Occasionally, colleges will give you a, a credit for a three, so you could look to see what the college will give you credit for. But I think this is your opportunity to impress the admissions office, so only fours
1: and fives. Perfect, that, that was actually a straightforward one, Jen. It's, you it's know not... what?
4: I, I feel guilty because I want to ask you questions. I really dominated.
1: I, I know we had a lot of those test scores, but yeah, I think that's all our test score questions. You can ask me one. Okay. It's your turn now, Jen. Okay. I, I give you the
4: floor. That, um, so I but most of my questions are gonna be about the FAFSA. So I, I I have this question. You're applying, I'm applying to 15 colleges, but you can only send your FAFSA to 10. How do I choose?
1: Well, you no longer have to choose. So that that's that's a a, a nice thing we can share with with listeners now. Um, it used to be the case um that the FAFSA only left space to send scores or send scores. you got me in the testing mode, Jen. I'm to sorry, send I'm your, sorry. <laughs> send, your, send your FAFSA to 10 schools. There was a whole rigmarole. If you were applying to more than 10 schools, you had to submit to the first 10 schools, wait for those schools to receive your FAFSA, then log back in, take five schools off the list and add the other five you're applying to. This used to be the case. It no longer is. They're making a whole bunch of changes to the FAFSA for the the upcoming school year, the FAFSA that will be available in December this year. Um, And some, some good changes, some bad changes. One of the nice ones, I think, for students is that They are leaving space now for 20 colleges. (laughs) If you're not watching this on video, Jen's eyes just bugged out of her head. I think it's nice to have the space. So if you happen to be applying to 11 or 12 schools or 15, I think is pushing it in this case, Jen is saying no, but you have the space if you need to apply to a couple of extra schools. But I think that actually we are very, very short on time, Jen, but I think this leads right into the next question. which is how many schools should I apply to? Is yeah. it 20, Jen? It seems like no.
4: <laughs> it's not 20. It's not 20. I'll let you count the UCs as one um, because it's one application. But no, I, there's. I think even if you're interested in comparing and contrasting aid packages, I'll say this again, the most important thing, the thing I want to start with is that you have colleges on your list that you like that you know you can afford and that you know you can get accepted to. I don't care if you th- you have three colleges that fit that bill and you apply to only three colleges. I'd rather you do that. So I think that 20 is bananas. You're not going to be able to give them the time and the attention they need. Let's stop artificially inflating these applicant pools just because we can. Um, and I think that 12, when pressed, would be, you know, 10, 8, 10, 12 is sort of that good area to aim for.
1: Perfect. And that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. This is super fun. Thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this convo with Jen and with Steve earlier, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and make sure you tune in next week where I think we're having a a Thunderdome-esque cage match. We're going to do a segment on why attend a state university and why attend a liberal arts college. Me and Jen could actually fight this out because each of us attended one or the other. (laughs) Um, We're also going to be talking about Uh, For our international listeners, a segment on how students on a visa can pay for college. So make sure to check out that episode and tune in every week. We are here at Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.